because remember he was a, an accounting guy and so he, we realized he was pyramiding on us and we approached him on it and he said yeah I frauded you guys sorry just like that it was really he just he, I remember he just took a piece of paper because he was writing everything down and we were in his office and all of a sudden he just took the yellow note pack and t- tore the paper off and put it in the thing and threw it in the thing he says okay guys I've been frauding you for the last two years so what do you want me to do and we just sat there like oh crap that was tough. Did he sell? Did he pay you back? No. No. And then I had just uh, built a house, brand new house. Goodbye to that house. So I, I, had, I sold the house for $500 more than I had in it, and um, I, I had to start all over. I was nine months or eight and a half months pregnant. We moved out of that house, and we moved into your mom and dad's house, into their basement that had no windows. and. That's where we had the birth of our sixth six child. child. We had nothing. We yeah. had nothing. Yeah, and and I was I, that. Now, if you talk about being discouraged, that's when I was discouraged because the agency declared bankruptcy, and then the his creditors were trying to go after us and saying that we were we were into it with them and that we were all in. And, and so we had a lawsuit there for about a year, and I didn't know if they were going to pierce the corporate seal and, and get after my, my, my family's assets and stuff like that. So, the, yeah, but I, I would sit there, and, and Lorraine will tell you, so I sat there in bed. I didn't know what to do. I, I was frozen. Welcome to the Founders Pod, a podcast that listens to the stories of how everyday people follow their passions to create, build, and run businesses. On the show today, we listen to how David Gabrielson went from shaved ice and dairy delivery to a multi-million dollar insurance premium giant. What prepared him to start Capital Premium Financing and what lessons he learned along the way? The Founders Podcast. Listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses. Hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world. The up and down, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And now, your hosts, Jordan Hansen and Brandon Minard. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Founders Pod. My name is Brandon Minert, here with my co-host Jordan Hansen, and we are in studio today for this episode of the Founders Pod. Our guest is a well-known and successful entrepreneur, avid skier, better than average golfer, and overall good guy, and that is David Gabrielson. David is the owner and founder of Capital Premium and has built capital over the past couple decades into one of the largest premium finance companies in the country. They operate nationwide and offer several great services. And David was gracious enough to join us on our podcast. And so without further ado, David Gabrielson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So it's good to be I back in Boise. mentioning who we have on the line. Uh, yeah. And we, so we have David in studio yes. and we have David's wife, Lorianne, on location in Utah uh, calling in. So Lori, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks awesome. for having us. Yeah, so 
We're excited to hear your guys' story. Uh, David's a really great guy. David and I know each other a little bit yep. uh, over the past few months, and we took on myself and David as a team, one PGA Tour golf professional, and tried to beat him <laughs> and lost on the last hole, unfortunately, so in spectacular fashion, but we did attempt to do that. And, uh, no, David's been really great. Uh, and you. it was awesome to come. And so, David, to get us started, if you wouldn't mind, could you explain to us and our listeners just off the bat what Capital Premium Financing does and what type of company that is, what services you provide? Sure. Um, so there's about a $50 billion market in the U.S. where um, insurance companies um, don't provide uh, financing. Uh, it's called what they call direct bill. Um, most of your personal lines is uh, direct bill where the insurance company will um, bill you monthly, take it out of your checking account. Um, it's the same thing in commercial policies, but there's a $50 billion market in the U.S. where the insurance carriers won't provide financing. They will not, you have to pay them all up front. And so um, there's about eight uh, finance companies in the United States like me uh, that are nationwide. Now, there's small regional finance companies, but there's only eight of us that are nationwide where we call on insurance agencies. And when they have insureds that need financing and it has to be paid in full, then what happens, they'll call us and then we will uh, pay the premium for them. And then in turn, they'll turn around and, and, and pay us back over a monthly monthly payment. Gotcha. Okay. And I have a little bit of experience with this because yeah. we do insurance. Sure. And capital has been really great. So when the insurance company offers us a quote, they'll say, okay, it's $10,000 or $50,000 for your insurance policy for the year. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon for them to say, pay us all up front. Correct. And many companies don't want to do that or don't like to do that or don't have the money. And that's where capital comes in Correct. to say, okay, well, you pay us and we'll pay them and we'll go about it that way. Correct. So the, the agency will collect a down payment. So it's like a car. The agency will collect a down payment. I'll put up the balance of it. And then the insured will turn around and make monthly payments to us awesome. over a nine to 10 month period. Great. And you hold the note on all of these. Yes. There's a note that's signed that the agency signs and the insured signs. And, they, and then uh, that gives us power of attorney over the policy. And then when we do a contract, we send a notice of finance premium to the carriers insurance carrier and they stamp it finance so that that's the lien and then they invent that the insured doesn't pay us then we can cancel the policy and the unearned portion will come back and and pay off the loan that's that's the idea behind it so it's really pretty the risk for you is pretty good correct there's it, there's not a lot of risk i mean there if if we do lower downs there could be some risks um but for the most part that's why um you know large federally chartered banks like to finance premiums now, because they know that it's, it's relatively risk-free. Mm -hmm. Now the, the alternative for these companies, I know Brandon works with a lot of um, like long distance checkers or commercial lines. Correct. Um, the alternative would be just go to their local bank and just say, Hey, can I get a loan? Correct. They, they could use their line of credit if they wanted to, if they have one, but a lot of people don't want to tie up their line of credit because they want to use their line of credit to expand what they're doing versus so if they just paid uh, their premium in full, then, you know, for example, when I first started capital, I was doing shaved ice, you know, 
and I could take a dollar and make that dollar $13 because that's what, you know, the multiple on the shaved ice. Well, when you, an insured uses their line of credit, it's dollar for dollar. So they don't want to do that. And we don't check their credit. We don't do anything. Um, and so they, they, they'll want to use that. And as long as the, the cost of the money is basically close to what, you know, they're already paying at the bank, then they would come to us because it, it, it doesn't tie up their line of credit. Got it. Now, one other question about this. Um, how, what percentage would you say of like commercial lines of these premiums? How many, how often are people using this? Like Brandon, would you say, or well, it depends. It, it depends on the type of business you're in. Um, like most uh, trucking accounts, the carriers do not allow, will, will, don't have financing for the insureds. And so, uh, you know, there is some uh, direct bill in trucking, but most generally, uh, trucking is, it's, it, it, the $50 billion market is unusual stuff. It's not like a property, uh, like your house or uh, a building. It's, it's unusual stuff. It's, it's daycares, it's bars, it's uh, trucking companies, it's stuff that, you know, the, the carriers don't want to deal with collecting money. So would you say like 80%? Like uh, like what percentage of like uh, policies that walk through your door are using this service? I mean, it's by industry. It's by right. industry. So it's very right. yeah. widely. Right. Industry. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's some insureds that will pay it in full, but most of the people, yeah. when they're offered terms, they'll take it because they want to use their cash flow to do what they do, you know. Absolutely. To, and and that's why money. they do it. So mm-hmm. it just depends on how... Um, flush the insured is you know if they have the cash to pay it they will but in that 50 billion dollar market i mean it's a huge market and most people will finance it yeah um, because they want to hold on to their money yeah and and not only that the insurance company doesn't have to staff a large correct you know group of accountants correct and and they just get one check that's right premium whereas you know the capital premium they get a you know, keep track of the monthly premium. And, and it's a really good service. Correct. It's something that's, that's been in the business. industry for forever. Because it's like everyone wins, right? That's the idea. Correct. Yeah. The carrier loves it. It makes it easier for you, Brandon. Yeah. makes it easier for the insured. Right. So, And then on be. the direct bill policies where the insurance carriers bill the insureds directly, they inflate the premium 3 to 5% yeah. to cover the, the handling cost of the money and to send out the billings. So direct bill is... You know, that's the biggest market by far. The billions and billions and billions of dollars, but I don't get involved with that. Yeah. But on, on my side, it like you know, it's skinny. It's just they just want to check, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. The carriers. So without going too much into capital, we're going to start way back. Okay. And David, you grew up, I believe, in Idaho. Is I grew that up right? in Boise. Okay, and you were born in Boise. I was born in Pocatello. Oh, okay. And then, how big was your family? How big is your family growing up? Uh, so I have, there's five kids. Uh, I was in the middle. Uh, I have an, an older brother and sister and a younger brother and sister. Gotcha. And then growing up in Pocatello for the listeners listening in, I'm sure back in the day that was an agrarian location or town. Did you grow up on a farm or what did you No, I, I, I grew up in, in, uh, I lived in uh, Pocatello until I was six years old. So I was born in Pocatello and then in when I was six, I moved to, to Boise. Okay. And what did your parents do? Uh, so my mom was a stay at home mom for the most part. And then, um, maybe when I was 10 or 11 or something, she uh, was, became a school teacher. So she ended up being a school teacher for 35 years in the Boise public uh, school system. 
And then what did your dad? So my dad uh, was in mortgage banking, and so he he worked for a mortgage company, um, and my dad was an accountant. So he was more a debits and credit type guy. And so growing up, your family life, was it, did your dad say, David, you're going to take over for your old man? You're going to go into mortgage or what? Did well, in my, in my, in my life, it was, um, especially my last name's Gabrielson and the Gabrielson family. It was big. You go to, you go to college. That's just, everybody expected that. And there's 20 cousins. I have 20 cousins on the Gabrielson side and, Everybody's a doctor, lawyer, accountant. Every, everybody's expecting that. And my mom and dad, you know, graduated from college, and all my brothers and sisters did. And so I, it was expected that I would go to college, but my dad knew that, and my mom, that I just I didn't cut the mold. They knew that I wasn't going to make it. And As in different even from your siblings? Yeah, all my siblings were very, very smart, and, you know, all bachelor's degrees, some master's. My older brother has a double master's. My sister has a bachelor's. My younger sister has a bachelor. My brother has a bachelor. But I, 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 they knew that I wasn't going to make it because I didn't do well in school, and I didn't like it, and it wasn't what I liked to do. So that, I mean, that's the key part probably. You didn't enjoy it. What were you doing instead? Well, um, you know, I like sports. Okay. I really like sports. That was really fun to me. And, you know, especially just growing up and I, I had, a, I had a good time doing that, but I, you know, college just wasn't what I wanted to do. And, and my dad would always started to encourage me, especially when I got into high school and said, look, I realized that, you know, you're not going to make it and college isn't your thing and you don't want to really do it. And so he, my dad always encouraged me to get into sales um, and to start a business. That's so interesting. So your dad encouraged, he, he recognized this as you got into co- or high school, 14, 15 years yes. old. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't like, no, you're going to college. He no. was understanding and, yeah. hey, this is a good opportunity for you. Yeah, he knew that I wouldn't make it because I, I, you know. You keep uh, saying that. Like, he would always tell me it, that. But it sounds yeah, like he, he, would always, <laughs> he would always say that. He said, we realize you're not going to, I mean, when you, when you got C's and D's and that's what it was and that's, if, that's what I was lucky at. But he incur- I mean, he didn't think you were dumb, obviously, because no. he said. No, I cleaned my dad's it. office. Uh, I was a janitor. At my dad's office from ninth grade to twelfth grade, and and my dad always you know really encouraged me. He knew, he says, David, I always knew that you'd lock the door up at night, at, at, you know, in his office building, at his his office that he worked at, and I had my own checking account since I was fourteen. I was pretty smart with money. I under, and I understood money. I understood how money worked. But as far as going to college and doing music one hundred and one and biology and you know history, that that just wasn't gonna. I just I had no interest in it. At all. So for jobs, we've already talked about one when you were in high school, you were working, cleaning your dad's office. Mm-hmm. What other jobs did you have? Um, you know, I worked uh, in my dad's company the, was a mortgage company. And so they knew when the houses were going to be foreclosed on. And so my dad, and he had a partner and they bought houses and, you know, for $13,000. I mean, this is back in the early 70s, late 60s. And, and dad would buy the properties and then I'd go in and f- paint them and and fix them up and stuff like that. So some manual labor, mm-hmm. pretty much all manual labor. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy that work? Um, you know, it paid. I, 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 you know, I, I didn't really, I'm not super good with my hands. I didn't, I mean, I wasn't, I didn't want to be a mechanic or anything like that, but I knew how to paint really well. Um, you know, I, I just knew that I'd make money. I could put it in my checking account and that's what I like. <laughs> the money. Yeah. No, I, I, I did. And I saved, I remember I saved $5,000 up to buy my first house when I was 18. I thought you were going to say car. I no, know if I thought, uh-uh. no, he's like, no, no I bought a house. Good I bought a you. house when I was 18 years Interesting. old. Interesting. So you graduate high school, 
you get your diploma, yeah, and then you grab your keys to your house in Boise or where? So I was all in Boise. So I went to Bora High School in 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 here. I graduated in '74, but um, you know, through through the um, the classes that I took, I I you know I took like t- uh, business machines, and I was really good at that. You know, ten key. I could ten key better than anybody. I could do, I could ten key better than the teacher because I learned how to ten key. What uh, is a business machine for it's a calculator? Yeah, it's okay. calculators. Come on, Brandon. It's, it's, it's calculators and then like typing. And I took all the typing classes I could. And then I, I took a um, uh, an accounting class, a bookkeeping class. And I got an A++ because I understood debits and credits and how that all worked. I was In high school? In high school. Because of your dad? Or did you just... It just, I, I, it, just it was like, it, it was it was natural to me. It was something that I thirsted after. I couldn't get enough of that. Cause, and I was just being prepared to do capital, to be honest with you. Because I, I was just barely doing the things that, uh, that I enjoyed doing. Um, I, I thirsted after stuff like that, and I didn't know why. But I, you know, I, I played high school basketball. I was really good in sports, and I, I didn't need to, you know, go to the teacher and ask for favors because I was really good in in accounting. I, I thirsted after that. The numbers, but not. Like I like math numbers. numbers. It was like accounting numbers. It was like business accounting, numbers. yeah, debits and credits and mm-hmm. balancing and and business. I just really excelled in that. Did you have a plan in high school to where you said, when I graduate, I am going to Go straight into, or did you get jobs out of high school? And what was your plan looking forward to after graduation? Well, I didn't really have any plans because I didn't sign up for any any colleges. But my friends were all going to Rick's College, which is over in, it's now called BYU-Hawaii, or BYU-Idaho. <laughs> and all my friends went. So I said, well, uh, maybe I better go because I'm, I'm missing out or I didn't even know what I was, but I never signed up. And as long as you had a heartbeat, you, got, you qualified. So I went over to Rick's College and, I mean, the day of the class, because they said, well, I'll just go, because I, why not? Wait, wait. No registration. So you moved over there and then just went to class? Yeah, I just showed up, and I said, I'm, I'm here to register. And they, did, did you pre-register? No, I didn't even have a place to stay. I, mean, I found a place to stay, and then I, I you know, went to class. And, you know, the, the short answer is I needed to meet my wife, and my wife went to Rick's College. Oh, okay. And that's the only way. I, I went to college to meet my wife, and yeah. I didn't even know it. So where did you buy your house? Yeah, what my first that? house was in Boise. Okay. And then, so you bought that. You fixed it up and sold it. Did you live oh. there at all? No. Uh-uh. Oh, so you bought oh, okay. it. Okay. I just bought a house. Bus. Yeah. I, I uh, was a house. I bought it for 18000 So a typical teenager buying a home. Mm-hmm. Fixed. <laughs> typical teenager. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you got to explain that a little bit more because. Well, my, still... see, my dad was, my dad had bought and sold houses on the side on his job mm-hmm. because he knew when the foreclosures were happening because he worked at a, right. a mortgage company. So dad would go with his partner and they'd buy a house for $13,000 cash. And so I was painting the houses after they fixed them up or after they bought them, I would go in and f- paint them and fix them up and then they would sell them and I'd get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I had saved up $5,000. And so when I, at, during that time from age probably 14 through 18 and then, um, and then when I bought my house at 18, we, I went and fixed it up and s- sold it. How, like, what was the turnaround like? It, uh, was it mm, six months, maybe three months? And did you make very much? Yeah, Do you remember I, that? I don't remember how much I made, yeah. but enough that I had to you know, file a tax return. <laughs> <laughs> now, who, d- who, d- who gave the note? What bank? Yeah. <laughs> no, we paid cash for it. No, you said you paid oh, well, your dad. five. My, I, I paid dad. five thousand. A dad put in thirteen. Oh, and then, gotcha. and then, uh, we, I fixed it up and sold it, but it was my house. I borrowed the money from him. Is gotcha. the house still there? 
Oh yeah, yeah but it's way can, old now. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, but do you look at it with pride? You're like, hey, yeah, that was that's yeah, like your baby. Yeah, I, I, it was cool. It was really so cool. So but but I understood how I knew how to do that. I understood. Yeah. I knew how to buy and sell houses. Your dad, you know, he worked at this company, the mortgage company, for mm-hmm. all of his life. Yes, most of the, at least while you were mm-hmm. alive. Uh-huh. Um, but clearly, had an entrepreneurial side. I've, yes, my dad. All my dad made more money on the side than he made at his job. So why did he keep doing his job? Just he just because it? it paid for insurance, and he had a big um, uh, retirement in it. Um, I can't That's remember it. the word, but he had a big profit sharing in it. So that helped you. Do you feel like that helped you kind of put you where you are today? Yes, absolutely. Because my dad, my dad, my, it was because of my dad that I knew how to do debits and credits and and uh, business. I understood business from him, especially on, on housing. Hmm. I, I knew how to I knew how to buy houses. Would your siblings, you know, what influence did they have on you? Or were, and you said they were all very well educated. Yeah. So. Uh, my older brother and sister are four or five years older than I am. So I didn't really have a relationship. They were much older than I were, but, um, so not so much, but my brother, Joe is a double masters in finance or in accounting at BYU. Your, your, your younger brother, my older brother, your older, brother. Uh, my older sister's disabled. So she, okay. but she did, have, she did get a, a bachelor's degree, but no influence, but I ended up becoming partners with my brother, uh, you know, down the road okay. with capital. And so your older brother, Joe, he went on to do accounting and that didn't motivate you to say, uh-uh. I want to be like, no, huh? he went and worked for Exxon and he, he was a big, a big executive for big companies. And, you know, my little brother did the same thing. They worked for, he worked for IBM and they were all in the big, you know, corporate stuff, but I, I had no zero, zero interest in any of that. And so it was pretty clear early on that you were going to do your own thing. Yes. I, well, hey, my mom and dad didn't know what to do with me. So they just said, get into sales because yeah. we don't know what else to do. Cause we, yeah. we only know, we only know college. That's, that's the big deal. Are you saying it like, were they, do you think they were frustrated or do you feel like they were? I, I think that, I think the I mean, I think my mom and dad realized that I wasn't going to fit the mold. And I think that they, they could have criticized me or they didn't, they just read, okay, this is what we got to deal with in the sandbox. So we better do something with him. So that's more of it, what it was. Sounds like wise parents. They were. They were very wise. I, I think my dad was. He, he's just like, well, you know what? If if you're not going to go to college, we got to we got to figure this out. And I, I don't know what else to do. Just get into sales. That's that's all he would say. So uh, we sold the house. Mm-hmm. We've moved to Rexburg. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to get into sales. What were you doing over so there? So then when I went to Rexburg. I, I like I said, I met my wife. First I, semester. I, at the first first quarter, I only went a quarter. Lori Ricks College. Is this true. Yeah. She's here. She, she's I don't know Lorianne. if she's on the phone or not. She's probably muted. No, she's here. Okay. Yeah, but so I, I, I went to I went to Rick's college. So Lorianne, stay on the phone. Um, we went to Rick's college, and I took a, a, a tennis class. I mean, I took the tough classes. <laughs> but I, I that's where I met Lorianne, and I, I had to use my influence to get her, because I really thought she was cute, and I really liked her, but she thought I was from Idaho. There's no chance, you know, because she's from California. Oh, so that that didn't quite mesh, but I always, you know, I, I told her I was the tennis player of the year at Bora High School. Well, and the problem was is they gave it to the, the the senior guy, and I was the only senior guy on the team, so I automatically won. True, though, it was. But true. it's true, and so that swayed into one date. Isn't that right, Lorianne? Yeah, you you lied pretty good about it too. Lied pretty good about it. 
Sales. But, but Sales. I tried. I, I just met her to, because I needed to meet Lorianne. That that was the big deal. And I was I only went to Rick's College for a quarter, and then and then Lorianne, um, you know, you t- she took off as well. She went back to California after a quarter quarter, and I went. Uh, I left and went on an LDS mission. So at the time, you know, this is interesting because you know, David, you're kind of a wild card at that point. Oh yeah, and I was. I was. I was high risk. Right. I, that there wasn't. I wasn't. I had no really no idea what I wanted to do. But I, you know, f- going along with the you know, LDS tradition of that. Okay, I'll just try a mission. Yeah. So I I left Rick's College and then I went on a mission in seventy five to seventy seven. Um, you come home in seventy seven, mm-hmm. and you go back to Boise. Correct. And were you thinking about? Just walking into some college? And well, so I came home after that and um, saw all my friends were going to BYU. And, and so I said, well, I'll try to get in. I'll just go. I, what the heck? I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Because I, like, I, I was going to major in real estate and finance because that's what I really, you know, I like real estate. And so I, I, went to, I went down there. They let me in because I had gone to Rick's. But, I you know, no ACT, no nothing. I mean, but only I, I just... I mean, I got in because I had a heartbeat. So it's so funny. I mean, I could imagine walking into class now and just sitting down. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it would work. <clears throat> and say, I'm ready to teach me. I'm ready yeah. to go. And that's what you did. Yeah, I just went. And I, I was going to, uh, one of the things I was going to do was accounting because I liked accounting. Right. But then I, I took uh, a few accounting classes and I actually did okay on those. But then I got to cost accounting. And I just thought, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to sit behind a desk and I don't. I don't want to do that stuff. And, and, then, and then I met Lorianne because Lorianne had gone down to BYU too. And so we, we didn't even talk. And, I mean, I left Rick's. She left. We didn't even talk. for. I mean, it was, there was, an, it was a non-event. I got one date. That was it. And, and then I went to BYU, and I ran into her down there. Just randomly? You Just randomly at, uh, at the Wilkinson Center at, on the sidewalk. And I knew I could get in a... Front of, yeah, in front of the library. Yeah. In front of the library. That's so funny. And yeah. uh, I, I and I knew I could get a spark out of her because if I called her Lorraine, she would you know get mad at me, and I you know I could get her attention. So of I course. called her, said hi. I said Lorraine, how's it going? I knew her name was Lorianne, and then it's like, hey, we should go play tennis. And she said, yeah, let's let's do that. So I took her number and I I called her up, and she said, well, I have to do homework with my sister. I I mean that's the most lame excuse I you know ever. So I I just I'm done. I didn't I didn't call her. I didn't do anything. And then I met her again at the uh, Smithfield house. I ran into her at randomly. I mean, this was, this was all lined up. And I, I met her at the thing. She's, and I said, well, she said, you never called me back. I said, well, you had homework with your sister, and that was a really lame excuse. And she said, okay, I'll make the date. So we made the date and played tennis, and, and uh, that, you know, that's how that worked. And she was really good. She was trying out for the BYU tennis team. She was really good. And uh, we played tennis for an hour, and she beat me. And, uh, and you were the you were the Bora tennis male of the year. Yes, I was. <laughs> but remember, I was the only senior. That's why they gave it to me. <laughs> it doesn't mean I was any good. <laughs> so at that time, when you were going to be at BYU, what type of jobs did you have? Did you need to have a job, or did you? You know, I I didn't really work when I went to college because. <laughs> It was a stretch for me to, you know, to learn what it was. But uh, my dad and mom actually supported me a little bit. But I only went for a, a half a quarter so, or a, a half or whatever they call it, semester. So it wasn't like, you know, and I had saved. I had some money left over from the sale of my homes at home. And then, um, 
and then so I used my my dad. My dad said, "Well, you you use your money first, and then I'll, I'll take it from there." And so I used up most of my money from there, and then Dad would help me. My mom. And then so you're courting mm-hmm. Lorianne on the tennis court, mm-hmm. and you're seeing that there's not a future in college. No, yeah, there was no chance in crap that I was going to do that. I, but I had met Lorianne, and then I really liked her, and she liked me. She started to like me. Yeah. I mean, this is all subject to what she thinks, but, <laughs> but, but then, so we started to dating and, and then, um, this was in April of 78. We were dating from that January and everything. And then we were just dating and, and I was, but you weren't going to school. What's that? You were done with school at this point. No, I was going to school, this is why you're still school. and I was down at Provo and then, uh, and then I just realized, I, you know, I don't like school. I hate school. And then, you know, I, w- I, I tried it with, you know, I, I, Lorianne kept encouraging, well, just, you know, try it. See, the reason I needed to meet Lorianne is because da- her, her dad's an entrepreneur. He had a cable company in Southern California and he strung the cable up the, up the mountains and when the Santa Ana winds would come in in the fires, you know, he was used to working 24-7, but he started a cable company. He was very, very successful at it. And then he sold, in 74, he sold his cable company in Crestline, California, and they, they moved to Provo as a family. Well, that happened all while I was on a mission. I, and I didn't even know. I, we didn't even talk. I, it was, we were a non-event. But when I got to Provo and I met her, her family had lived there and her dad had just uh, sold the cable company. But Lorianne came from an entrepreneurial background because I'm an entrepreneur. And you know, if I was a librarian type, you know, if, if you have to fill the wall, I wasn't the type of guy to, to do that. And so she was very, you know, used to that. And then, you know, she asked me to marry her. She asked me. Now, she'll tell you that's that not true. true but... <laughs> But we, 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 we made it official. I, I really went down on my knees and all this stuff. But then, so we got married, and, and then I tried uh, college a little bit more, maybe one more quarter, and I just hated it. I, I hated it. And then, so I, I actually went for, uh, to work for a chemical company um, in Salt Lake. I moved up to Provo after we got married. Doing sales? Sell. Uh, yeah, I was in collections first, and then I ended up being in the sales. But then I, I did so well at it that um, they transferred me from Salt Lake up to Seattle. So that was in 79, 1979, and then I worked for them until 1983. But between that period, I learned what I didn't like to do. I hated what I was doing. I did not want to work for anybody. I, I couldn't handle it. And I found out that my boss that, he, that I was reporting to, he made $40,000 a year, and he'd worked there 40 years. Well, see, when I met Lorianne, Lorianne told me she's going to have 10 kids, and that, that was part of the deal. It was a kind of a dowry. You know, I'm going to have 10 kids, and, and I have to have a beach house in Newport Beach, so you have to say yes or no, but that's, that's my, my deal. So I said, okay, sure, 10 kids, you know, coming from my background, my mom's Catholic, my dad's Mormon, what the heck? I, that's what I thought. Well, then, but the beach house was a million dollars, and I thought, oh, okay. Even in the early 80s? Yeah, in the early 80s, it was a million. And, and so I thought, yeah, okay, I could do it. But I, I had, you know, I promised that to her. But, but that was the deal. So when I went to Seattle, I just hated what I did. I didn't like it. I was miserable. And so my dad, uh, I was talking to my dad, and, and this is, remember, uh, Prime was at 22, and you, know, you couldn't sell your house. And I had bought a house in Seattle, so I couldn't sell it. And then finally, I sold it in, the, in April of 83. I sold the house. And I made $40,000. So wow. then I moved from Seattle in 83, in April, I moved down to back to Boise. 
So stop for a second and talk about your time in the chemical plant. What didn't you like? Uh, I didn't like, first of all, there was unions, and I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> but they, the unions guys made more money than I did, and I was their supervisor. And I didn't like that. And I, I didn't like the fact that, um, you know, I would work overtime. They got double pay, and I got nothing. I was on a salary, and I didn't like that. And I didn't like working for somebody making them money. That bothered me. So you, what position did you have? I was, uh, at that point, I was the office manager. Okay. And, you know, you're, from the brief experience I have working with you, you're a very good salesperson. Yeah. And so the time you were there as a salesperson, you had to have seen success there. They had to have seen promise. Well, in yeah, they did, but they, they didn't pay what, you know, it, it, sometimes employer, employers will pay the least amount that they could. And that was their idea. You know, pay them as least as you can. You know, give them a bone and, and, and stuff like that. But it, it was still making them rich, and I didn't like that. That bothered me. And then I found out that my the guy I worked with, you know, it was a big chemical company, and he made $40,000. I think, man, there's no way. I, can, I can't have 10 kids and make $40,000 a year. That's not, that's not going to happen. But, but what was happening is I was, I was being prepared to do capital because I was finding out what I hated to do. And I, I was miserable. I didn't like it. I, I didn't like working for people. I didn't like, um, you know, I was good, but it just wasn't, you know, I, I, I don't like being capped. During this time, were you unhappy enough to where Lorianne was saying, look, you got yeah. to change this? Oh, yeah. And, and Lorianne, she came from the, the background of, of an entrepreneur. Her dad did really well. He was wealthy. Was her dad or was your father-in-law at all talking to you saying look no David, you- no not no they just they just wanted us to move closer because we were living in seattle and they lived in provo but he didn't really say a lot to me but i just he my father-in-law is the hardest working guy i've known and, and he has so much energy and for he just has more energy than i know so i always admired that in him he's a risk taker um but but that was more of um you know that was her background and and what she she knew yeah so there was no big i don't know uh, motivation to there was a big motivation to leave the chemical company yeah. mm-hmm. when the time came to leave the chemical company was there an opportunity so i came i, I moved back from seattle in the, in april of 83 and and then there that's when it, it started and i uh, i came in and um so i was i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do but um my dad um had he he, he had um uh, some apartments that he was in charge of. And so I ran those apartments for him and I made $600 a month. That was the big deal then. And then I, uh, Lorianne, uh, liked to shave ice, you know, these Hawaiian shaved ice things. And so she got us into the Boise arts festival. You know, we were making four or $5,000 a weekend. And, and then I was, um, I was a dairy guy. I, I did a dairy job. I was just trying to survive and I didn't really know what I was doing, but my dad, at, when I moved back, he showed me how to finance premiums. And that's when my dad showed me how to finance premiums. I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I knew I could do it because I understood leverage. I understood money. What was your mindset for the four years at the chemical place and before the finance? Were you just searching for something? Were you down on yourself? Were you down on your prospects? I I was probably more confused than anything because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was going to try to make the best of where I was at. I was kind of, I was trying to be the best employee I could be for these guys. I tried really hard, but, but I just did, I didn't mesh with their, their attitude was, you know, what's in it for them. 
and you know we're here to make money for the you know the the big boys in the in the corporate office and and I just I just didn't like that I just I didn't like that I it just it something inside of me it was just countered everything I believed and so I think it's an interesting that jump from the chemical company to mm-hmm. Boise mm-hmm. that was a step into the dark right I mean you yeah. didn't have no, I didn't have anything particularly when I came back to Boise, but I was so miserable at what I was doing. I yeah. didn't want to do it, right. and I didn't want to make $40,000. How long were you doing the shaved ice and the dairy? What did you do as the dairy? So I dairy, I got up at 1 in the morning and delivered milk. Oh, you were the milk delivery guy. Delivery milk guy, man. yeah. The milkman. Milkman. And so how long did you do that for? I did that for a year. And then, so the shaved ice. I did that for like five years. Okay, when did the... So there's a decent gap between moving to Boise and starting capital. So I moved in, in April of 83, and that's when my dad showed me how to finance okay. premiums. Because my, my dad um, helped me. I was running the apartment complex with him. And then my dad, um, I was just, I, so I had 800, you know, I was making $600 doing that. And then I did the dairy job, and I was making $800. Well, then I was keeping books for a company that my dad was, um, my dad had an investment group of, of guys, and um, my dad had all the money in it. That, that's why it was, didn't work really well, but I kept their books because I understood bookkeeping. And then my dad got out of that investment group because it wasn't working and it wasn't what he wanted to do. But then my dad, at, during that time from April of 83 to September of 83, he showed me how to finance premiums. And so then I had, I knew, I, I knew how to do it. I understood what it was. I understood if I put money out at one rate and I put it out at another, I just didn't know how to finance premiums, but I knew how to borrow money from the bank. And so I took the $40,000 that I took from my Seattle property and I took, went to the bank and I got a $75,000 line of credit. And I went to my first agency here in Boise and I said, can I finance your premiums? And they felt sorry for me. Because <laughs> I had all these kids, and I think they said yes for that reason. And it was one of the biggest agencies in in Idaho. So, stop, because you took out a loan before you had talked to any agency. You didn't no, have I had no, credit. I had a credit, right? Not yeah. a loan, right? It was well, a line of credit. I got a line of credit for seventy five thousand, and you know, my dad had showed me how to finance premiums, and 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 he had done a little bit of it on the side on his own with oh. with, with his with some of his investment group buddies. But he just showed me the concept behind it. And so I thought, that's good. And then when he closed that down, that company closed down in like August of 83. And then, then they were done. And so now I, I just said, okay, I'm going to try this. because So I, uh, my dad knew the banker. And so he called up the banker. And the banker said, come on in. We'll give you a loan. And I got $75,000 because I had put down forty. You yeah. had 115000 I had 115000 to put out, and I called on the second largest agency in Idaho. I didn't even know that. But I had a set, another agency. I had two. Another one was called Dot Taffin Insurance, and she was you know, a, a, a very kind person, and I had known her, and I just started to talk to her and got to know her. So how many kids did you have at that oh, I had uh, um, three. So what I'm imagining is you put your kids in the car, you go to this agency, and you say, look at... <laughs> Yeah, Look at these poor kids. Yeah. And these can I finance? Hungry. Can I finance your premiums? And they're like, you know, they just. Can't I, I no. think they just felt sorry for me, so they said, "All right." <laughs> and it was Higgins and Rutledge, which is still in business today, and they're one of the bigger agencies in Utah and Idaho. 
But they said, yes, but so did Dot Taffin Insurance. And so I most, my first loan was with Dot Taffin Insurance, and it was Roundy Pull Fence for $12,000. What so, was your What was your mindset then? I mean, were you like, oh, okay, yes. now it's I wanted serious. to make five hundred dollars. I wanted to make five hundred dollars a month w- with doing the the finance company. Because from what I've counted, you're doing four jobs right now. Yes, I did that for seven years. And you thought, okay, if I can make a few dollars on the side, yes, with capital, mm-hmm. and I could just get these couple agencies, I can keep shaving ice and handing them out to little kids. Mm-hmm. I can do books. I can do dairy. I'm going to do dairy for forever. Mm-hmm. Was that the mindset? That, the mindset was I was going to, that's what, how I was going to provide for my family. Yeah. But capital, it wasn't capital, it's was called Spectrum back then, uh, the beginnings of it. But that, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to save my money up to use that because I wanted to multiply the money. So you had the goal. You knew the goal was I did. the premium financing. Mm-hmm. Now, were you, if I was you, um, <clears throat> you tried different jobs, you were really unhappy uh-huh. as an employee. You came back to Boise. You were searching for different things to do. Yes. Um, now, up until that point, until you found uh, premium financing, mm-hmm. I would have felt pretty depressed. Now, uh, depressed is maybe the right word, but maybe de- worried. Like, is something wrong with me? Well, there was always anxiety to because what was I going to do for a living? But I remember I bought my when I came back from Seattle, I bought a house immediately for forty thousand. So, so I just started buying houses again because I knew that I was going to buy houses. I was going to buy houses and. I was going to use that to make money to, because I knew I wanted to do capital. It wasn't capital, but it was do spectrum. spectrum. Right. Mm-hmm. Premium financing. Uh-huh. I see. So you weren't worried. No, not really, because I, I really liked what I do, and I knew that I thought, gosh, if I could get a million bucks out, could you imagine the spread I could make Can on that? Imagine? Yeah, because I thought that. But Prime was at 22, so I was putting loans out at 28. Oh, yeah. So, but I was making 28% on my 40,000. Yeah. See, that could, I started manipulating that. I knew, I, knew, I knew how to do that. Like you can see those numbers and easily understand. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. all I need is yeah. more capital. That's all I need, capital. Mm-hmm. I was going to make $500 a month, and I had the dairy job, and I had the apartments, and then I would, uh, I was helping a friend paint. And So, you know, it was 12 months later, did you buy the new Newport Beach house? No, 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 no. That was, that was down the road. But, but, see, but see, the good part with Lorianne is that Lorianne supported that because she, she was all about entrepreneurs. That's what her dad did. Just work hard. It'll work out. That's Lorraine is very optimistic. And so she was always, well, you know, if I ever, okay, guys, if I ever complained, she said, look, David, you don't have the plumbing, but if you want to stay home and nurse the kids, I'll go out and earn the living. And if you know Lorianne, <laughs> that's what she would do. So I thought, oh, no, 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 I'll stay home. I, I mean, I'll, I'll work. You stay home. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to talk about these insurance agencies because you walk right. in and say, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I don't have any history. No. And they say, okay, we're going to go through you. Yeah. Where do we write the check? And you said, okay, write it to David Gale. No, make it out to Spectrum Mortgage okay. and Finance. Yeah, because okay. I had actually started a company called Spectrum Mortgage and Finance. All right. And so they were comfortable? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I had. I wasn't shy about going and talking to people. I, I mean, it, I mean, all you got to do is you got to get one agency. Then you can say, I got two. Then you say, I got three, four. And then people don't, I got several. Yeah. I might have two or three, but... You just, I, I just did that. I just, yeah. you know, I, I had, I just went from one agency and then I went to another one and then to another one. And, and then. At what point did you start saying, okay, this has the potential to be my. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do because I was leveraging and I, I would make more money doing that. Cause remember interest doesn't sleep or take vacations or take time off. So I knew how to leverage, but the challenge was I was running out of money. And then this is where my brother came in. And my brother, Joe, my older brother, has a double master's 
from BYU was working for Exxon, making over a million dollars a year and had for a number of years. So I called him up, and he was living in Guadalupe, Malaysia. And I said, hey, Joe, I need to borrow money from you, and this is what I'm doing. And he understood that because he had talked to my dad. And so he gave me a million dollars, and I paid him 13% interest. And I was putting it out at 28 good deal for you it was a great deal but it was a good deal for him too because he really liked that and so that's how i I, that's how i got more money so now i had a million dollars and i you know i I was paying that out and my forty thousand was making a 28 percent spread and and that's how i did it i just i understood how to do that and then my brother called me up said hey david i i'm being transferred to new york and with exxon and i don't want to live in new york he says i'll quit my job we'll take that million dollars and I'll move to Boise, and we'll take the million dollars and put it in the bank and pledge it to the bank, and they'll give us a $10 million line of credit. I said, okay, let's do it, Joe. So my brother quit his job. Now, he remember, the double master's guy and me, you know, I'm a second-semester sophomore with Lorianne's credits. I had nothing. <laughs> and he, came, he quit his job, and he came in, and the bank gave us an $8 million to $9 million line of credit. That's how that that's when I really got ignited. But the, so I started Cap or uh, Spectrum in '83. My brother came in '85. So talk to me about the daily operations for Spectrum because insurance is a forms-heavy mm-hmm. industry, and, and financing now mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really great because it's all done on the it's computer. All, it's all on computer. Back then, it was all manual. And so so I, you did you have an employee? Did no, I did it all by myself. So I I, I worked from one to seven in the morning, and I slept from seven to noon and then i opened up spectrum from one o'clock to five o'clock i was so, part-time calling on agencies but i did all the bookkeeping i because i understood debits and credit i understood the bookkeeping did you have contracts with these uh-huh. yeah i went and got, i got a, and a contract i copied off a contract from one of the other finance uh-huh. companies and put spectrum on it and i had it all done i had it done by an attorney and i did that and so i went to and it was three-part ncr paper so i just gave it yeah. to the agency and the agency just you know sign it insured would sign it and the white copy would go to me and the pink copy would go to the agency and the yellow copy would go to the insured and then i would turn around and get a contract and i i would uh do payment coupons and i okay i sent them out to them and they'd mail them into my p.o box and Way we go. And so you were a one-man show. I was. Signing documents, mm-hmm. taking payments. Going out and, and seeing agencies. Joe? Was it just you and tell Joe? Yeah. It was me. And I did it for two years by myself. And then Lorianne would, you know, the kids would go get the mail for me at, at uh, Boise, you know, 83705. And they'll go get the mail. And I'd get a couple contracts. And, you know, I'd write checks out and mail them out. And payments would come in. And, you know, I got late fees. It, it was going good. Was there ever okay? So Joe comes on, mm-hmm. and now you have a partner and way more leverage, right? Now you oh, I have yeah. Now I have now I can go to more agencies, right? You can I mean, I mean, all in Boise. It's kind of like inventory, uh, you know. Yeah, I, well, I had, thing, but yeah, and the bank, the, cash, you the can bank liked more. it, yeah, because we had leveraged, and they gave us a line of credit, and you know they were, we actually put in eight hundred thousand. So uh, I borrowed. Two hundred from my dad and my sister, and Joe already had the cash, and so we put in eight hundred thousand in cash. And the bank gave us, I think it was eight to ten million dollar line of credit. You and once you get a line of credit, everybody wants, you know, then you're everybody's your friend. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's true. At, at at any level, were you getting worried that it was growing past what you had anticipated? No, I didn't. I didn't understand how big it was. I didn't even understand the numbers. I didn't understand. I, I had to learn how to finance premiums. I had to learn. That was the hard thing. I had to learn. It was really, really hard because I had I'd go talk to agencies like, what is a minimum earned and what is general liability and, and and what are audits and and how are premiums doing this and 
you know, I, I had to learn how to do that and how to send out notices. And I, I mean, the first few years I, I was flying blind sometimes. Did you make any big mistakes? Yes. Ops, yeah, that comes with being an entrepreneur. But um, yeah, I, I was, so my brother came in 85 and then in 87, I had the second largest, uh, uh, second or third largest agency in, in, um, in Idaho fraud me. So I, had, I, I learned how to, uh, that was terrible happened they defrauded you not mm-hmm. not the insured not the insured but the agency did mm-hmm. can you talk about it mm-hmm. yeah that's a long time ago but i i had to learn i had to learn the hard way but it was a local agency in caldwell and he, you know very popular and really popular and really good and 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 uh, he just started doing care of his agencies and, and he'd make up fake contracts well see i wasn't verifying policies because i didn't know that's what you needed to do I didn't know how to finance premiums. I was learning as I went, and he took advantage of me, and I lost four hundred thousand, lost everything. So, could you go back at him? Or oh yeah, well yeah, but he he'd already spent the money right. and he declared bankruptcy. Yeah. yeah, so I was all over the paper. And how'd you, you know. catch him? My brother did actually, Joe, because Joe's really smart. Because remember, he was a uh, an accounting sense. guy, and so he he's you know, he, we realized he was pyramiding on us, and we we approached him on it, and he said, "Yeah, I frauded you guys. Sorry." <laughs> just like that. Just like that. And it was really, he just, he, I remember he just took a piece of paper because he was writing everything down and we were in his office and all of a sudden he just took the yellow note pack and t- tore the paper off and put it in the thing and threw it in the thing. He says, okay, guys, I've been frauding you for the last two years, so what do you want me to do? I'm sorry, I'll pay you back. He said, I'll sell my agency. It's the big, one of the biggest agencies in Idaho. And we just sat there like, oh, crap. That was tough. Did he sell? Did he pay you back? No. No. Mm-mm, but he did go to... Yeah, he lost his license, and I mean it's big stuff. If you go yeah. back into the history of premium financing in Idaho, it was I was all over the paper, and then so that's that's that was my and I had just uh, built a house, brand new house, four hundred thousand. That's a blow. Goodbye to that house. Oh. So I I had I sold the house for five hundred dollars more than I had in it, and um, I I had to start all over. And so Lorian, you you were going to say something there? Yeah. Yeah, we moved out of the house. I was nine months or eight and a half months pregnant. We moved out of that house and we moved into your mom and dad's house into their basement. It had no windows. And that's where we had the birth of our sixth sixth child child in the the basement. We had nothing. We had nothing. Yeah. And and I was, I, that, now if you talk about being discouraged, that's when I was discouraged. I was going to say, do you feel like that's one of the biggest That's when I got discouraged because about quitting. Yeah, because the agency declared bankruptcy, and then the his creditors were trying to go after us and saying that we were we were into it with them, and that we were all in, in and so we had a lawsuit there for about a year, and I didn't know if they were going to pierce the corporate seal and, and get after my, my my family's assets and stuff like that, or my brothers. My brother had you know, he was quite wealthy, so the, yeah. But I I would sit there and and Lorraine will tell you, so I sat there in bed. I didn't know what to do. I, I was frozen, and I just sat there. And, you know, I, I believe in the spirit and the spirit just basically, you know, said to me, um, you know, you can, you can sit here and feel sorry for yourself or else you can learn from your mistakes and keep going. What was that, Lori? And you had something to add there, I thought. Yeah, well, he, he was so distraught. I mean, his name was, was thrown around as well as, as part of the conspiracy kind of a theory. And it just was so degrading and so demeaning. It was horrible. And he would get out of bed and, and finally I just said, you know, <laughs> we've got a couple of choices here because we've got, you know, we're going to be having our sixth child here any minute. And, you know, you can say, sit here in bed as long as you want to, 
and what not, but you know, if it were me, I would get up and let's start over again. And so when we moved into his mom and dad's house, had the baby two weeks later, I called my mom from Provo and I said, come get me. I'm not staying here. And I turned to Dave and I said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go down to Utah. I'm going to live in my mom and dad's house and uh, tie, tie things up here in Boise and come down and start the freaking over start over. You know how to do this. You've been frauded. You now understand why you've been frauded. You're good at what you do. Start over. And so he came down after three months, after trying to get things tied down up in Idaho, he came down and that's when we started it over. And I said, you, you know what you can do. You're really, really good at what you do. This business works. We just didn't know how to do it right. And that's how we started the second time around. So what did Joe say? So my brother Joe stayed here in Boise because he, he the deal was, is David, you go get the business, I'll get the money. Because he was really smart. He could talk at a high bot rate with the care, the, agent, uh, the banks. So we paid off all of the, the notes to the bank. The only people that lost money was our family, me and Joe. And the bank uh, then came back to us and said, look, if you will recapitalize, we will continue to finance your premiums with you because they didn't lose anything. And they knew that. And they, they knew expected that, that they knew that we were good and that we were integrous enough to pay, you know, everybody off. Well, I had a big hole of 400, you know, I lost $400,000, 200 to Joe and 200 to me. So, so but I, that was everything to me. And so when I went down to Utah, we were still trying to get out of the lawsuit or find out what would happen. And so finally the lawsuit was settled that, you know, that, that we weren't in it's all over the Boise paper, but you know, we didn't do anything wrong. The guy literally frauded us. And so the bank said, and so all the agencies I was working with in Utah, um, they said, or I was working with in Idaho. They said, Hey, David, let, let, we want to support you. We, we realized that you got Host. frauded. Yeah. And so they said, let's t- keep working. And so everybody stayed with us. Well, then I had moved down to Utah and I didn't have any agencies. And so we changed and we started the name. That's where it was in 88. And that's when the name Capital Finance Company came. That was the first time Capital, the name, because Joe redid the name up here in Boise. And so I started calling on agencies in Utah and in Idaho. And then that's when we really started to grow. Because you have, what about Capital? I mean, what about? uh, So Joe gave me, so my brother Joe lent me $200. Two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, I was going to say. My brother Joe lent me $200,000 and he put in 200,000 more. And I, so then we had 400,000 that we gave to the bank. And I think it was all risk bank back East by then. And they said, okay, we're going to keep doing this with you because they had, they had a division back East of premium financing that bank. And they understood that it's a good business if you do it right. Well, see, we had learned how to get frauded. We had learned all of our mistakes. And so they didn't want us to quit either. So they kept encouraging us. So we became the biggest loan in their division at all risk bank. Because they liked this. What year was this? This was so as an 88. This is the 88s when we got it settled. And then we changed the name to Capital Finance. I was in Utah and I'd come up to Boise and Market. And then, and, then, and then within seven years, I had 95% of the business in Utah, the agencies. So I really want to talk about the relationship between you and Joe at this point. Yes. Because he quit his job. Yes. And when you guys initially got defrauded, did he look at that and say, what the crap did I just do? Yeah, yeah, I he mean, did, and he was, he was, but you know, my brother was really smooth, but he, he, he had millions of dollars, and he was, he was very calm, 
you know, he's very smart, very litigious. He, you know, he could talk to attorneys and do this, but he, he got the idea. He understood that, but he stood up and really played it really good. So when you were at family events, mm-hmm. there was no problem. No, not really, because you know we understood the problem. We all said our sorries. You know, we we really wanted to. You know, it wasn't the end of the world. We knew that we had a great product. We just had to do it the right way, and that we could make millions of dollars, which we ended up doing. But at the time, it was just learning by mistakes and people taking advantage of you. And I have to look back and say, man, that was a, a blessing in many cases because it's made me who I am today. But Joe is just like, he's like a duck. You know, on top of the water, he was calm. He was just really cool. But underneath, we're just paddling as hard as we could to try to survive. But he was really good. But he got us through that. And, you know, he would talk to the bank and negotiate. But, you see, he, had the, he still had assets. He's rich. He had millions of dollars of, of Exxon stock, and so he was still okay. So he gave me two hundred thousand, I and then and then he put in two hundred, and then I paid him back. It took me eight years to pay him back, mm. and I paid him back monthly. And I had a I had a thousand dollar a month salary then. That's so how I, how we started all over. Did I mean? Did your relationship grow closer together during this? I mean, that sounds like it, a good brother. It, it was it it was it wasn't perfect. Because I was always trying to get more and more, and, and he's very conservative, you know, very, very conservative. But, but he, was, he would do all of the sending out the notices and do all the, the, the computer work and, you know, all of that. He was brilliant at that, and, and I was good at sales. I could go get all the business you wanted. And he kept telling me, David, go get the business. And I'd get more business than we had money in many cases. But he was always negotiating with the bank. He knew the, he knew the president of Zion's bank really well because he was at school with him. And, you know, Zion's kept coming to us. Come on, David. And Joe, come over to, you know, Satan's side and come to Zion, you know. <laughs> and, and, and eventually we did switch over to Zion's. So, okay, so did you have any employees at the time you were in Boise? Uh, no. Mm-mm. So it was still you and Joe? Just still you and Joe and I. And then you move, you sell everything in Idaho, and you. Move I lost everything in Idaho. Yeah, you lost everything there. Yeah. What about the shaved ice? Still shaved ice, yeah. Look, and and, I, and I still came back up to Boise for like five years to the Boise oh. Arts Festival, and we'd make ten thousand a weekend. Oh, it wow. was great. That's a good yeah. deal. So that was your payment to Joe. No, yeah. <laughs> the well, then, see, then we started getting contracts, and so I was just paying him back a thousand dollars a month, and it took me forever to pay him back, and then I'd pay him a little bit more and stuff, but eventually I paid him back. And, and you moved to Utah, mm-hmm. and you are renting, or you buy a home. I rented a house. You rented a house. Mm-hmm. And you're running capital out of the basement or out of the room in a house. Out of my house, in, in my home. And in, in, in so what happened was is Lorianne went to her moms and dad, and then in December of 88, we moved up to Sandy, Utah, to a rental house. It's really weird because I, see, I was living by the Spirit, so to speak, and it was a snowy day, and I said, I went, when I was down in Provo, I said, we're going to go up and look at the houses in Sandy. And I said, if somebody throws a snowball and hits our windshield, then, then, uh, then uh, that's where we're supposed to be. I, I was just being flippant with her. And I went down this hill, and somebody threw a snowball and hit our windshield, and I looked off to the left, and the house was for rent. I'm not kidding you. And that's the house we moved into. So then we moved into that house, and it was really a nice home, great neighborhood. There were 72 kids in the cul-de-sac. I mean, it was just really good. We had moved in, and then two weeks after we moved in, I got an eviction notice. I said, what do you, what's this? The, the guy I rented it from was uh, being, he, his note at Zion's had been, um, he was being foreclosed on. The landlord. The landlord. My landlord was being foreclosed on the property, and I had just moved in with all these kids. And I mean, I was, that's when I got a little bit distraught. And so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, is there any way you can buy the house for me? Just so that I don't have to um, move again. Because I just, I couldn't 
put the kids through that trauma of school and everything. And so um, my dad uh, bought the house for 105000 A lot of family support. Oh, that was tremendous. And I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, my dad's a good guy. My dad, my dad was really good with money, but I paid my dad back because I, I immediately, as soon as I could qualify, I refinanced the house and, and paid him off. I was in, the house was there. I'm just so, saying in general, like your wife's family was very supportive. Yes. And your, your brother, your, your parents, a lot of family support in your they, my, So my mom, my dad knew that my dad knew that I could do really well in premium financing and he, he could see it and he was very proud of us. It's just, we had to learn how to do it. And that was the hard part. And it's like anything you have to learn, you know, you have to learn how to, whatever your profession is like, you know, golfing, you're just not going to pick up a club and start playing. You have to learn how to play. Well, I had to learn how to finance premiums and, and I look back on the fraud and everything. I had to be frauded. I had to go through that because that made me who I am today. But it was tough, really tough. So to me, the big risk in financial industries is one big mistake could put you under. More so than a bad insurance agency or, you know, writing a bad policy. Or do, Correct. You know, in the financial world, you know, you when you lose 400000 or a large portion of your money, that mm-hmm. could put most people under. Yeah. And so it's amazing the story that you guys yeah, have, so the determination. With Joe's money, I was able to do that. And then, yeah. so... Remember, we were going from agency to agency, and then within seven years, we had 95% of the business in, in Utah. So 95. 95% of the agencies in and Utah. 95, do that, in 1995, that, right? Seven years after that? Yeah, so it was roughly in the, you know, 1995, approaching 2000. Mm-hmm. But we had most, almost all the business in Utah, and, and my line of credit was roughly $25 million. Now, remember, I would pass on the, the big contracts, you know, if it was a million-dollar policy, you know, the agencies would come and say, hey, David, you know, uh, so-and-so will do this for, you know, 12% or 8%. And I'd say, well, I, said, I didn't want it because I didn't want to type my line of credit. So I'd say, I'll do it for 12 I didn't want it. I didn't th- and they said, well, we like you, David. We'll do it for 12 And I'm like, no, no, I don't want it, you know. But it was stuff like that. But, but see, we, we, we were learning how to finance premiums. And, and I know I was making – we started to start making really good money because you start leveraging out $35 million and, you know, we, we were doing good. And we, we asked, I was literally making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month by then, literally. And but so we were, we were, yeah. So my brother and I were, were, he was still up in Idaho and I was still in Utah. And then did you start bringing on employees at that point? Yes. And so you started building capital premium. Mm-hmm. financing capital it was called capital finance and then what happened is we got into two, the early 2000s and i got into 2004 and my brother uh, i we were at 35 million dollars um or 40 million dollars in in our credit facility or that would be our outstanding balances roughly and my brother came to me and i went to my brother and he started said david i don't want to do this anymore I don't want to keep risking everything I own. We have to both personally guarantee all the notes. He said, I don't need this. I'm a multimillionaire. I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, then I'll have to buy you out. So, and he said, yeah, I want you to buy me out, and I want $10 million for my half the company. And I said, oh, shoot, I don't know how to do that because that wasn't my world because I never went to college. I didn't do that. But see, this is why I married, needed to marry Lorianne because Lorianne's brother worked. So I went to my Lorianne's brother when my brother said he wanted $10 million and wanted out in 2005. And then Scott, her brother, said, David, I've, I've worked for a private equity group and investment banking for 25 years for this opportunity to work with you. I know how to buy your brother out. So was the company valued at $20 million at that the point? The company was valued at $12 million, six to Joe and six to me. And he wanted 
he wanted 10. And I said, Joe, I can't give you, I can't give you, it's only worth six to you. And then he said, well, he, you know, he kind of like, yeah. and I said, look, I'll give you a million dollars more because you're my brother. And he took it. He took seven million. So I paid my brother seven million dollars for his half the company. And that was in 2005. 2005. And shake hands, hug, everything. Was yeah. Good. So we just had to go through that. And then Scott, my brother-in-law, became my partner. He became the CFO because he could talk to the banks because we switched from some Zions. We were at Zions Bank because Joe switched from all risk to Zions, because that's what Joe did, because he knew the president of Zions. And, and then in 2000, as about 2000, we switched to Zions. And then in 2005, when I bought Joe out, we switched to Wells Fargo, because Wells Fargo was just, you know, really courting us, because they, they knew that we were, they knew that we were good, and they wanted to get into premium financing. So I, uh, my brother and I decided on $7 million. I gave him $5.25 million in cash. He took up a note for $1.75 million. And it took me forever to pay that off. And then, but then he stayed on because he needed the insurance, and he stayed on for a number of years. But it was, uh, it's just in the back office just so he could keep insurance. Okay. So I always kind of wonder when you get to this point, this is a good point to be, I mean, the buyer, that's stressful, mm-hmm. but you're profitable. Mm-hmm. You're having money come in. And in businesses like this, businesses like retail, uh, you have a decision between how much do I take home mm-hmm. and how much do I use back into the business so I can just keep growing. Correct. Now, how did you make that decision? So what I did is um, prior to when I bought my brother out, um, you know, we, we would just split, we'd get, we'd split the money and then I would take my portion and I'd have to pay him a thousand dollars. And then we just kept doing that. So I was, by me paying off Joe was, was building it back into the, but we had, we had enough equity. I had over a million dollars in equity by then. And so did he. And it's funny because Joe would always tell me, he says, you know, David, I have $2 million in this company and you only have a million. So if we both lost it, it would hurt more because I lost $2 million. I said, no, Joe, that's not true because we both lost everything, so it hurt the same. <laughs> so we were kind of talking about stuff, you know, like that. But, see, we were saving money up, and, and that's how we, we would do that. And so because the bank would require us to keep money because they wanted to have the equity. They needed the, you know, the equity in it. But, and, and the collateral. And the bank was always, for every $10 the bank would put in, I had to put in a dollar. That, that was part of the deal. And, see, that's, that's what got tough. And so in 2005 when I bought out my brother – I had like 95% ownership. I had a lot of the ownership, maybe not quite that much. But um, but the, what happened was is I had to keep putting money in. And so the um, the the bank kept coming and saying, well, you got to put more money in. So I would, I would sell shares of capital to some of my rich friends that I knew. And they'd write me a check out for a million dollars. And I'd turn around and put the million dollars in the bank and then I would, they would be a shareholder and, and they'd make a fortune off of it because the bank knew that. And, um, and, and that's, that's kind of how we, um, how we did that. And then I got to 2010 and Wells Fargo came to us and said, David, we're not going to give you any more money. You're not rich enough. You're, you're, you, we don't, you're not going to do this. And I was at $50 million, $50 million credit facility with, with Wells Fargo. And they said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to give you any more money. And so I said, look, I've never missed a payment to you and ever. And you're making all this money off me, and you don't want to do that. And they said, that's right. Because just because you didn't have enough cash. Because I didn't have, enough, I didn't have right. enough cash to keep putting dollars. And they knew that I was, I was selling uh, capitals, uh, some of the shares that I owned to my friends for a million dollars, and I was putting it in and, and stuff like that. That's how they did that. So what did you do? 
<laughs> well, that's the interesting part is, so I was, all, I was living by faith. And, and so, you know, my, there's a lot of things that my dad, you know, my dad would always tell me. And he, and for example, my dad always told me, he said, it's lonely at the top. And I said, Dad, what do you mean by that? So this is when I was growing up. And then when I was doing capital, it's lonely at the top. Because when you're the owner, you know, and he said, it's hard being the backstop. And I said, Dad, what are you talking about? And it's hard being the backstop. It's hard being the backstop. And Well, I understand that because I was the chairman and CEO. And, the, and everybody can come to you, but I had to look to God, literally, at how I did that. Um, my dad kept telling me the chiefs don't associate with the Indians. And the reason is because you become friends with the employees and they'll sue you. Well, he kept telling me these things. And he, says, and then he always told me the right people will show up at the right time. And I, I always listened to my dad. So what happened is, is in 2010, when the Wells Fargo's told that, Scott, my <clears throat> partner, CFO, had just been introduced to a, uh, an, uh, uh, an, it's just like real estate brokers. There's a premium finance brokers, and there's a really, the biggest one in, uh, in, the, in the United States is called Colonnade. And we had just been introduced to Colonnade. And so Scott flew back to Chicago to meet Colonnade. And Colonnade knew all of the banks in the United States that purchased premium finance notes. And there was only four of them. And he knew them. And Colonnade had the relationship with them. So he called me up, you know, in the middle of the night, literally, you know, because that's what entrepreneurs do. He called me and said, David, I got great news. I said, I, I just got introduced to four banks that will buy all, your, all of our notes. But it, the, the good news is, it, but the thing is, is... Th- there is a minimum that they'll accept to get into the date, to get into the dance, to get into the theater. And I said, Scott, what is it? He says, you have to have a $50 million book. And I had a $50 million book. Yeah, right there. So I qualified. And so that's, then that changed everything. And so we negotiated with them and that was like four months and we, we had negotiated with them. And, but I, they purchased all of our notes. They purchased the contracts from us at 100%. I had to put no money in. And that changed everything. That, that, see, that changed. Though. That got me into the big boys market. Now I had unlimited money. And um, that, that, I mean, that was divine. I mean, I just prayed to God and said, thank you. Because I, we had to pay off Wells Fargo within a year because they were getting rid of our credit facility. So a question I have is, as you were growing this, when you were moving to Utah and things were going well, mm-hmm. You had to keep up in the ante and up in your personal yes. involvement in it. And Joe said, "Okay, this is at the point where I want to get." I want out, so he he wanted out. And so, but for you, did you ever have any hesitation to keep upping? No, I didn't even know what I I didn't know how I was outgrowing myself because I was just I, I was I was really good. I was really good. I I could go get the business I wanted. It was the business was coming in, and so I. Um, I, I didn't realize you know, I would call on 10 agencies hoping to get one or two, and I'd get nine or 10. I just kept getting more and more. But you had to keep committing to more and more yes, financial, and, I and was. that never scared you. No, because I, 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 hey, it was all, I had to personally guarantee the notes anyway. It didn't make any difference. But when you're making over a million dollars a year, what are you going to do? What else was I going to go do? And so you just said, keep going. Guys, I, Keep going, keep there, going. There's one consistent thing in my whole relationships. Lorianne would nurse the kids at night, hand me the babies, and I would rock them in the chair. And I would rock in the chair, and the spirit would keep telling me, just keep going, David, just keep going. Because I was sitting there, how am I going to pay for all these kids? How was I going to do it? And we had all these kids. But every that was so consistent, just keep going, David, just keep going, even though it's tough. And I'm going to write a book someday. It's going to be called Keep Going, David. 
that's why I just kept going. I had no idea. You know, I, I kept thinking, well, should we go nationwide? Should we, you know, we were in uh, Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico. You know, I, 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 had, to, I had to play the cards that were in front of me. But I remember when I bought my brother out, um, I went into the, we went into the downtown law firm, and I had a cashier's check for $5.25 million, and my brother's attorneys were there, and we were in the law firm, and, and they said, okay, it's time to sign, David. And I stood up, and before I went over to the table to sign, I looked right at Lorianne, and I said, I may never be home because I have all the business in Utah. I have all of it, in, you know, most of it in Idaho. And I said, the only way I could go get it is outside of Utah. And she just said, go for it, David. Because she, she, she knew I was an entrepreneur. She knew that that's what, she knew that we could do it. And she was always encouraging me. Okay, so you go to the new banking arrangement. What's that? You go to the new banking arrangement, mm-hmm. and you're in, and mm-hmm. they buy it all away from Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. Was it all sunshine and roses? No. Or? So, you know, there's, there's good banks and there's bad banks in the United States. And so I, these, there was these, these four banks that, that charged. Um, so I, I signed a contract with them, and I did everything, and they broke every contract, that, everything on the contract that I had with them, you know, um, they were a very large bank, and they bought the premium finance companies. They owned a finance company like me, and we made different gr- arrangements and rules and stuff like that. And they, one of the rules was you can't buy another finance company in the U.S. because, see, when, when you t- hooked up with these five banks, all of them said, after five years, David, we have to own you. That's, that's part of the deal because we're not going to lend you our, our balance sheet and watch you, watch you grow. We have to own you in five years. So I knew I had to sell capital at that point five years and you're okay with that i had no choice because i my only choice was what wells fargo was called my note due within a year so when i hooked up with these guys i knew that at this point i'd have to sell so i had a chance to grow the company as, as much as i wanted and as big as i wanted to make the company grow but i had to go out and market and i had to do it but i had to sell it after five years so i was going to build it as big as i could and sell it for as much as i could so i, I hooked up with this company this bank and unfortunately they weren't ethical. And uh, in those five years, I grew the company from 50 million to 238 million. Uh, and we had thousands of agencies all over the United States. And then in the five years, you said, okay, I'm ready to sell. So after the five years came in like 2015, they, they came to me and said, uh, we're here to buy you. I said, I'm not for sale because you broke every rule. You broke everything. You said you did not follow your contract with me. You bought other finance companies that took away my, my opportunity to grow because the, the, they would saturate the market with the companies they were buying. And I said, so I, 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 they sued me. So it and I like sued them back for $100 million in fraud. And? And I won. Ooh. <laughs> so relationship, I mean, but you got to keep working with them, right? I had to keep working because I couldn't beat them. They, they were too rich because I kept coming to them and saying, you can't do this. You guys were breaking the laws. You're breaking these rules. It's in writing. They said, David, we're rich and we're powerful. and You better keep your mouth shut if you know it's good for you. I said, oh, okay, so that's the rules. Yeah, and so I put my head down from 2010 to 2015, and I left on a Monday, and I came home on a Friday, and I did that for five years. I did that before then anyway, and so we built it up. With you as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had your golfing companion over there. Mm-hmm. You guys were no, and, th- and this is when Garnet already been with us, and um, you know we I don't I don't know how many employees we had, but 80, 85. and 
and I just put my head down and I knew it. And so when it came to 2015, they said, we're, we're here to buy you. And I said, I'm not for sale. And they, and they sued me for um, anticipatory, anticipatory breach of contract. And I sued them for $100 million in fraud. So you were, you were, it sounds like, building up to this moment. Mm-hmm. And you were preparing yourself. I was, for, for five years, I knew I was going to have to fight these guys because they were corrupt. And it sounds like the amount of money up for grabs, it wasn't an easy fight. I mean, oh, that must have... They, they, spent eight, they spent $15 million in lawsuits, and I spent three. And, and how it long? took three years, and I won. 2018 is when the... So 2018, so but in the meantime, I knew that I was fighting these guys, and, and so I went to the other three, and the other three came to me and said, David, we'll give you a credit facility. Okay, so there was five total. Two of them were the ones that were unethical. Uh, one of them was ethical. One of them was mm-hmm. So there was four others. Okay. So I went to the other one knowing that I was going to have to switch because I had, I, I had, I had $238 million yeah. from this, the bank. And so I went to the other banks who I have today, which were ethical, but I had to get out of the lawsuit. And so your, so, your money was tied up with this other company for the, the entire three years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the judges, there were several judges in this, and the judges said that the, this bank I was with initially had to fund all my contracts until he could get oh, to the bottom of okay. all the corruption. Uh, so they didn't want that. The bank would have not, they didn't want to continue that relationship, but they the, didn't have a choice. The bank didn't want to, so they, they took a million dollars out of my checking account one day and cut off my line of credit. One day's notice. And I went to a bank in Chicago, uh, the, the um, judge in Chicago, and the judge says, you put that money back in there today. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and I'm going to find out what the hell is going on. I don't swear. <laughs> but that's what he said. And so we had a lawsuit for three years. We won all the, all the, the different levels and stuff like that. Had you been documenting? Like the yeah, well, yeah. Okay, because you knew. I so knew that I knew what was going on, and I knew that these guys were corrupt, and I just had to get out of the lawsuit. And it's like they had a lien on my house, and I couldn't go anywhere until they took the lien off. But it's a long story. It's very complicated. But I was living by faith because I, I could have lost everything I had because these guys' idea was is they were going to try to shut me down and, and, and cut me off and have all these thousands and thousands of agencies leave me, and they were going to try to take them because, remember, this they bank owned – they had their own finance company like me. And that's why I made very strict rules – as to what they could and couldn't do, and they agreed to it. And then once I signed with them, they broke all the rules. And they said, we don't care. We don't care. We're rich. We'll, we'll wipe you out, David. You're nothing to us. And I said, well, that was a lot different than the relationships when you thought I was the nicest guy in the world because you wanted my business. So I went to a sec- at the separate bank, Ameris, and I said, will you be my credit facility once I get out of this lawsuit? And they said, absolutely. Absolutely, David, because we know you're a good guy. And we had thousands and thousands of agencies, you know, I mean, so. So how was your morale during those three years? And how was the morale at Capital? Was it difficult to operate under those? Well, I knew that I would win the lawsuit. I was just living by faith. And I knew that we were winning every phases of the lawsuit, too. But it just was expensive. But remember, they had the, but the morale was good because I kept thinking that I was going to win, and I already I was just going to get out of it and go to this new bank, and, the, and I had already signed the contract with the new bank, and they they knew that they knew that we were really good. Remember, when you have two hundred thirty eight million dollars, people want to write a check up because they're instantly making millions of dollars off you. They also have a finance company that they own too, so they understood premium financing. But these guys were ethical versus the first guys weren't. 
So it's like the kind of the moral of the story is def- defraud David once, fool on shame on him. Right. Defraud him twice? No. Yeah. Yeah, You're ready. See, I had lawyers. Yeah. I had I had the biggest law firm in the United States represent the fourth largest law firm in the United States represented me. And they told me, David, we have never in the history of our firm seen so much corruption. Hmm. Now that's why I knew what I was dealing with. We will win this. Just work with me. So I kept thinking, you know, I was going to win it and I was just going to take my my book and and the the other bank was going to write out a big check to the corrupt bank and go our ways. And so when the lawsuit ended and the contract was done, I switched. And it's very complicated. And it, it, but I switched over. But the problem was is that I paid these guys fifteen million dollars to get out of the contract. Because I had no other choice because they f- I had all my money in their bank. And when I won the lawsuit, they froze my line of credit, my credit facility. And I had $21 million in the bank. And I had no access to the money. So I went back to the judge, the original judge, and told them that the contract's over with. The judge, you know, way up in the, you know, next to the Supreme Court said, this is all this. And then so the, the judge, went, the original judge went back to them and said, you unfreeze their money or else I will, I will destroy you and your bank what he told them and so they said oh david let's let's settle let's settle let's settle let's settle and so you know they wanted me to pay them and i didn't but it's a very complicated thing but i got down to the point i didn't have any money for payroll and i i and i said I, so i went to the lawyers i said settle just settle because i can out earn whatever i gave them and so i did i settled with them and they immediately unfroze my line of credit i immediately moved over to Ameris bank but then i went to um and then I said, I, Ameris wants to write you guys out a check for $238 million. They said, pay us $6 million more. I said, forget it. I just paid you $15 million. And they said, no, we won't do that. So they took the book. They literally took it. And I started all over on January 9th of 2019. They took the $238 million and all the contracts, because they owned the contracts, I went to all 4,000 agencies that I was working with and told them what happened. I have a brand new agency or a brand new care, uh, bank. And at the end of 2019, I was at $250 million. I was bigger than I was when. So pretty much all of them came back. All of them came back. 97% of the agencies stayed with me. Oh, and I went to, and, and I was with now Maris Bank and I has, was at $250 million. Now that's average daily balance of money that I borrowed. And, and uh, Maris said, David, we will give you a $2 billion credit facility, but we have to own you in five years because that was the deal. And I had no choice. And so I switched over to them. I called up all 4,000 of the agencies. They all stayed with us because we were very good. Mm-hmm. And, and I w- so at the end of 2019, I was at $250 million. I was bigger than I was <coughs> at the beginning of, of 2019. And so I just kept calling, you know, agencies. I kept going. They kept supporting us. We kept growing, and we kept growing. Well, what happened was Ameris purchased another bank um, that was twice as big as they were, and the regulators came in and said to them, uh, you cannot uh, obligate yourself to anybody or do anything to anybody for two years because you've now outgrown yourself, or not outgrown yourself, you just bit off too much. So Ameris called me up and said, David, we're really sorry, but we can't buy you after all. Did you want to sell? 
No. Okay, so it was like a And I just sat there and I go, the heavens open. I go, you're kidding me. I said, that good old boy from Idaho that started with nothing. And and they said, but we'll give you a credit facility for the rest of your life. Don't leave us. And so that's what I have today. I have a credit facility with Ameris Bank for $2 billion. Now, I've only used up $545 million of that right now on a daily basis. At the end of 2021, which we just completed, I financed $1.1 billion. And that was done over 95,000 loans that we had done. And um, we're the fourth largest finance company in the United States. Now, there's eight finance companies nationwide that call in all 50 states. There's eight of us. Of those eight, there's only two that are privately held. And I'm one of those privately held. And I'm number four with a $2 billion credit facility for the rest of my life. No ownership. That's amazing. It is. It's, it's incredible. But you can see I paid a massive price. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. And it was just it was to keep going, David, just keep going. And so I, I was doing things like that. So from 2005 to 2017, I left on a Monday and came home on a Friday. That's why I had to live in Utah because I had a big airport in Salt Lake. And I, I have it. And, and so I can do that. But I had to live in Utah. And now we have 140 employees. Um, but I traveled. And then in 2017, I was done traveling. I was burnt out. I was tired. I have celiac disease. which just means I can't eat gluten. And I, I, I was playing Russian roulette every time I'd go out. And I was tired. And so I announced that I wasn't going to travel anymore. And, you know, we had four, we had almost 5,000 agencies we were working with. And, and, and the company will run on its own. And I announced I'm not traveling anymore. And so what I started to do is I started another company called Experience Utah, where I went out and I purchased several vacation properties in Park City and uh, another one in Alton, Utah. And I I got this idea that what I was going to do, instead of me going out and seeing the agencies, I was going to bring the agencies into Utah. So I purchased all these multi-million dollar properties and I started bringing agencies into Utah and I called it Experience Utah. Now, the reason I did that is because when I grew up as a kid, my dad's company, it was tough for my mom and dad. It was tough. And so my dad's boss came to me and said, Ron, would you like to stay in my, in my home in Sun Valley for free? Just bring your family for a week and stay for free. Well, that meant everything to me. I loved it. It was cool. I mean, I, I could eat all the candy I wanted and float the river in Sun Valley, but I couldn't afford to ski, but we went during the summer. But it's because of him doing that for me, and now look what it did for me. Now I own several of these properties that Lorianne and I purchased, and now we bring in you know, massive agencies for free, and we go skiing together in Park City, and I'm marketing. I wasn't marketing because I was now marketing by bringing them in. But that was all part of the, the, the process I knew that I was supposed to finance premiums. I was born on this earth to do that. I just had to find out how to do it. I had to learn how to do it, and I had to learn the hard way. And that's the only way you can do things, because you can't cheat. So I you can't cheat wind, as I call it. Right. That's incredible. Question on your – so you, at this point, have a small football team as a family. Yes, and Ten kids. How many of them looked at you and said, I want to go work with dad? Was that interested? Did yeah, that interest you? And very much so. So all my children want to work for me. And um, most, I let all my children try to work for me, but there's a few of them that it doesn't work out. And so looking forward into Capital, you know, you've had this incredible story. Mm-hmm. You're doing so many incredible things. 
What's your plan looking forward to say, okay, I want my kids to take over and run it. I want to sell it off to another bank. I mean, it sounds like that's not the case. Mm-hmm. What did you want to do? I mean, what's your thoughts? So the thing I want to do, and, and Lawrence can certainly chime in on this too, but I want to finance $6 billion. So you have and a number in mind. I have a number in mind. I want to finance $6 billion. And and I have the money to do it. Um, and um, I have five years that I'm, I will work full time, and but I want to own capital for the rest of my life. And the banks, I have to personally guarantee a $2 billion line of credit. So I'm the only one that the banks will allow to sign. So if I leave or I die, it's gone. It's gone because it's too big. And so that's my arrangements with the bank is that as long as David's alive and he'll sign the note, then we'll give him that credit facility. My children know that they can work at capital for the, as long as David's alive. And then once I die, I have trusts. And, and then if I die, it's going to go to Lorianne and Lorianne's going to sell the company. Okay. So I got to chop the cherry tree down that I built for 30 some odd years. That's tough. Yeah. But that's the only way I can do it. It's, it's too big. The banks won't allow it. Um, that's too big. We're talking hundreds of millions. But it sounds like you still have some, you know, work left to do. Yes. You still have some goals left to right. accomplish. Right. I would like to, I would like to repurchase the people that I gave my stock to. I want to purchase them out. Um, I want to buy them out. And then I want to take the wealth that I've created or that we've created. And I want to share it with my family and my friends and my people that help me grow the company, my employees, because it, I'm nothing without them. And they're, like my dad said, they helped me create this. Why wouldn't I give them money? Why wouldn't I let them share in the wealth? And I think I've been very good about that. And I think that's one big distinction between a privately held company right. and a you know, bank-owned or a publicly held company Correct. that you can choose to do that. Correct. I have a few questions. Okay. And so, you know, so much to cover. Mm-hmm. But if you were to look back, what would you do different? I mean, if you were to say, okay, I'm, I'm talking to David, you know, walking into some random college class, you know, and you had an hour to tell David, okay, avoid this or don't do that. What would you do? Uh, you know, first of all, I'm nothing special. I'm just a good old boy from Idaho. I tell people that all the time. Um, but you got to follow your heart because we are all here for a different reason. We all have a different DNA. We are, we're here to bless with what you're doing. See, Garn's a really good golfer. And, and Garn and I go all over the United States and have for the last 10 years or 15 years. And we, I'm an ambassador now for capital. And, but Garn has a talent. So I would tell people, follow your talent. Follow what you do, what you've been blessed with, and, and to follow that. The pitfalls is you're going to have to learn how to do what you do. And you're going to learn by your mistakes. Because that's what happens. Because none of us are perfect. And, you know, you're not just going to start a business and everything's going to go perfect. You know, I almost have to thank these guys that frauded me at the beginning because it helped me who I am today to avoid the pitfalls. But it came with a big price. And you're going to have to pay a price. There's no free lunch. There's no free lunch. you got to pay the price. And it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to have to learn how to finance premiums, and it was a tough rule. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I absolutely love capital, and I absolutely hate it because it'll take everything from me if I allow it to do that because I have nannies. I have people that clean my pool. I have people that clean my house. I have people that mow my yard. I have people that do my finances because I don't have the time. 
you're an entrepreneur, but you have to learn by your mistakes. But the blessing is, is that these people need jobs, and they're better at it with than, than what you do. And you combine together, you can make a beautiful thing and create wealth to spread it to the people that helped you grow your company. And that would be my Mine is don't get into it thinking it's going to be easy. It's not going to Las Vegas and pulling a lever and, and instantly doing it. You're going to have to work hard. And I've often thought that I would love to t- go to... Uh, colleges and talk about my story is about how tough it is but it's the most resilient thing you'll ever do i absolutely love it i have passion that's why i can get all the business i want and i'm going to continue to still do it but you have to pay a price you cannot just pick up a golf club and be good now you can be talented you have the talent to do it but you have to have the desire and the passion so Speaking of college, you took a different route to get where you were at. Yes. What do you? What would you recommend someone coming out of high school? Do you think or your kids, or your kids do you require them to go to college? No. Do you? My children didn't go to college because they wanted to be like their dad. Mm-hmm. And was that something you said? I'm. I, I said you can work at Capital, but you have to. You're just a normal employee. You can use the name to get business, and and they do that, but they have to work hard, and they do. And if they don't, they can't work there. But what I, I, I would, that's why I'm saying follow your passion. I didn't have a passion to go to college. Some people thirst for knowledge of learning how to be a doctor or an accountant, and I would just be the first person to support that and love that. But there's other people like me that we don't like that. We're not meant to do that. So when you and Joe get together now at family, do you, at family reunions, do you reminisce on the old times? Do you miss any well, specific? Well, you know, you know, Joe, he likes to, he asks a lot of questions. Well, when I, when Joe, when I bought Joe out, we were at 35 million. Today we're at 545 million. We're so much bigger. So he likes to hear about it. He understands the heartache. And he's probably more concerned about my health. Yeah. Um, you know, I, he, he had a place. Every, there, everybody has a place in the, the business. And they came and they served. They, they did what they needed to do and then they would move on. Well, that was with, with Joe. He didn't want to take the risk he didn't want to do that yeah. he's a great guy I, I like talking to him we talk about big numbers we talk about banks we talk about you know all the money we talk about the how we did it and, and it's fun I have no bad feelings and he doesn't have any bad feelings because he didn't want to do it. he's a multi-billionaire he doesn't need to do it but the, my thing was is look if you're if you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer I was supposed to be a doctor and a lawyer all my cousins were there but I wasn't meant to do that and I love them, and I'm happy for them, but I'm not the type that would do that because I did what I felt and the passion and the, uh, the spirit that just, th- I thirsted after that seed, it just, and I still have it today. I still thirst. I love what I do, and I like to go out and market, but everybody has that. That's what I would say. Everybody has it. It's just in a different way, yeah. and it doesn't make it wrong or right. It's just who you are, and that's finding that passion that you have and following that passion. That's all I did, and I tell my children that. Don't do me. Be you. Do you, and whatever you are. It's not me. I just did what I did, and, and it, it's worked out. I mean, obviously, my children would like to own the company, but it's not ownable. It's too big, but, but they'll have... You know, they understand I have these properties and, and they participate with me in different companies. I own a chocolate factory. The chocolate factory is a part of that because the agencies, we send them truffles. And, you know, it, you just built off the entrepreneurship. You build it. You just keep building. And 
you know, my children can run the chocolate factory. They can run the Experience Utah. They can participate in that. But, and, uh, and I've told them, you know, my job is, like I told all my employees, once this thing is sold, when I die, not until I die, but until I die, and then there will be enough trusts to spread the wealth. And that's what I want to do. As an endorsement to the chocolate factory, I have participated <laughs> in some of that chocolate, and it is pretty, really amazing. Yeah, really well, and I would like to just, Lorianne, I'd like Lorianne to chime in and just say a few words, too, because I've, I've done all the talking. Um, <laughs> Go. Yeah, just, How's the journey? Just to, been, hear the whole sto- <laughs> just to hear the whole story is, is, is pretty crazy. And, you know, we, we did. We lived through it. We survived. We it, it wasn't an easy time. And. You know, I remember all the conventions that we traveled to as a family, and I'd be either pregnant or nursing, and the kids were a part of that whole energy of work. And I think that was a really good um, piece for our family, was to show the value of working hard. Um, when David would leave and we would be home, you know, without him there, it was a lot of work for us, but we understood um, the principle of what he was doing, and and so my kids all learned um, the value of hard, hard work, which I, I'm very grateful for. And they're all hard workers today. Um, and so, yeah, it was an incredible, it, it has been an incredible journey. I think David has been inspired a lot of the way he has um, had, he, two o'clock in the morning, he'll have these moments where he'll just sit up in bed and, and he'll have a thought or an idea that will come to him out of nowhere and he'll turn the light on, write it down, and go back to bed. And then he'll start implementing the ideas that he received in in these moments that were magical. And in our company, he has um, put in there, and I don't think he's mentioned a lot of the different programs that he's put into premium financing that nobody else does. And we have patents on them because of the, of the thoughts and the inspiration that he receives in the middle of the night to do that. And so it has been quite the journey, um, and it's been... <clears throat> It's been a journey of, of lots of fear, lots of concern, but also lots of success, lots of, um, it, it, it makes you feel good to look back and see what we've come through and we're, we're still standing, we're still whole, we're still alive and, um, and, and we're still benefiting from it. And David talks about his end goal. My end goal is, is pretty much the same is that, you know, our, all of our children have been involved in this journey with us, and it's really, really important for me to make sure that they um, are part. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, emotional, but um, that they um, benefit from the hard work that we all went through because we all went through it. It wasn't just David and I. Those kids had to travel with us to all the conventions that we went to. They had to miss a dad that wasn't home for weeks and weeks and weeks, and. So they've all been a part of this journey with us. And so um, the end goal again is my beach house. I would still love that beach house in California on that beach. But um, the most important thing to me is that we have, we have developed, we've, we've created something that will benefit our children. Once we're gone, they will have the benefit of their hard work from their mom and dad and also their, their input and their hard work that they, that they did as well. Lorianne, you mentioned fear during the story, what, what were you most fearful about? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I was never afraid that we wouldn't make it, but I was fearful that David would collapse. 
he um, because he gets um, and, you know, the anxiety of the level that he had, and of course, and having to, to take care of all of us and all of the kids. Um, there was a, a, that was probably my only fear. Now, I, I always thought that we would do fine. My dad, my dad, <laughs> I learned from my dad about fear. My dad would climb these telephone poles, stringing cable, uh, you know, at all hours of the night and in snowstorms and all these things. And, and I, I watched him and I watched him work hard and I watched him be successful. And I knew that there was a way because I had seen it. I had seen my dad do this. And so when, when we'd have the fraud or when we'd have situations and David would become so paralyzed by what had come down, I just remember seeing my dad up on that telephone pole going, hey, we're going to get this thing strung and make sure they have cable tonight. And, and he just never stopped. And that was the push I had with David is that we can't ever stop. But my fear was that, that he might. He wasn't my dad. He was a completely different personality. And so I had to kind of take that end of it and be my dad more and just keep pushing him and saying, you can do this. You just don't, don't stop. Don't be paralyzed. We can do this. And so that was my fear is that he might, he might just say, nope, I'm done. But he never did. Well, we're all grateful that you guys kept going. Yeah. You know, and it's, I can say, you know, Lorianne's really, you know, I look back and it was just a picture. Everything fit in to, because I look back in my life and, and um, you know, I, I remember when I was eight years old, my grandfather Gabrielson gave me a $2 bill. And I held on to that $2 bill because I thought it was the coolest thing I ever got. And when I was 27, I started Capital. The beginnings of it, Capital is unique as a $2 bill. Well, there's a reason why that happened. And then the next thing that happened is when I was 14, you could drive when you're in Idaho. You could drive in a car. And, and my mom, I had just got my driver's license. And my mom said, come and pick me up from my OBGYN, meaning her OBGYN. So I went and picked her up. And she got in the car and she says, David, I have to tell you something. And I looked at her and I said, what? What are you going to tell me, Mom? I'm in ninth grade. You know, she said that guy pointing to the office, the OBGYN, he dedicates his life to his job because babies aren't born between eight and five. I said, That's really nice, Mom, but I have no idea why you're telling me that. So I've always felt as I look back on my life, I was conditioned to do capital. And so that gave me great hope that I was doing what I was pre programmed to do if there's such a thing. I, my dad kept telling me, Dad, David, you got to spend money to make money. I said, Dad, I don't know what you mean. So he showed me a, a, a football, a baseball field. And he says, the, did you see the, 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 the owner has to buy this building, the, the, the field, the stadium, and he has to pay the players before the first pitch. you got to spend money to make money, David. He kept telling me these things. And so I felt like I was always programmed. But everything that I've been programmed to do, I have dedicated my life to this job. I have. It's been tough hardest thing I've ever done but it's because of my mom told me that so I these prophecies and and so people would say what what is it follow your heart follow what your program I wasn't supposed to go to college but I learned how to do 10 key I learned how to do computers I learned everything that I needed to do to do what I do and I'm lucky I'm I but I, I really just did what I was supposed to that the, the calling and I you know I, I I've even said in the heavens before we came here that you know, God was at the pulpit saying, where's that Gabrielson guy? I need him to do capital. And I was back in the Relief Society room in the, the closet hiding, you know, hoping that he wouldn't call on me. But 
He did. And, and I, I tried to fulfill that. And I'm grateful that I can. But I've had to do it with faith. And you, there's no way in crap you can ever run a business without, the, without Heavenly Father's Spirit to guide you. Because it's tough. It's lonely. It's hard. But I'm so glad that I was able to, you know, the story still hasn't com- been completed. But, you know, I still have a few more years. But, you know, I, 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 I love the people I work with. And, and, and it, you know, they help me. They, they make me a better person. They help me. And I have great assistance. And they need jobs. And it's just a wonderful thing. And, and everybody is blessed by it. And that's what I enjoy the most is that everybody is blessed. And, and they have talents that they have brought them in that they're better at. <coughs> than I am. And I, I appreciate that fact. You know, I, Garn can pick up a golf club and go, you know, scratch golf. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't do that if I tried for another 25 years, but he has a talent and he can bless that. And we have a president of our company that can just run a company better, much better than I could. And the CFOs and the, all the different titles, but if everybody does what they do best, it's a marvelous dance and we, we can bless lives and we can help people and, and, you know, it takes money to, I always tell people, it, it you know, my job is, it, it, you know, we, babies are born and moms and dads are die, die. And I've experienced both those things. But everything in between takes money, from the birth of a child to the death of your mom. And I'm just grateful, and I'll end with this, that capital can take the money that's gotten and help provide families for that. And that's what brings me the most joy. I still have to live by faith, too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story, David. Uh, as a note, David flew from Utah to Boise to to join us today in studio, and he brought his right-hand man, Garn, over with him, and Garn's an incredible man. And We've mentioned him a few times, but, yeah, he's in the, he doesn't have a mic, he is, but he's here in the, the studio with he's us. in studio. So uh, incredible story, incredible history, incredible things that you and your wife and family have done and built, and Capital's an incredible company, and... Uh, we've certainly enjoyed being a part of them, and so thank you so much. And if you would like to learn more about David's story or hear more details about what he's done, I'm sure you can reach out to us and we can put you in touch. Um, in the show notes, we'll have the link to your website as well. Thanks for listening to the Founders Podcast. Be sure to follow the host on Twitter. Search at Jord B. Hansen and at Brandon Minot to discuss more. Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.